workers here. I love that resurrecting song. The resurrected King is resurrecting me by your spirit, oh God, from deep sleep that will someday heal us. Today we're celebrating Jesus rose from the dead. He wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't CPR'd back to life. There were no Jesus relapse. It wasn't a mere resuscitation. It wasn't a revive. He didn't just faint and hang out in a tomb for a few days and then unclean come out. He was resurrected, a complete restoration. Uh, He was transformed, but he was the same person, the same Jesus. So for centuries and centuries, it was prophesied, it was spoken about. We read it all through the scriptures, hundreds of years, thousands of years before Jesus came, that this would have to happen. And Jesus said that this would have to happen. He would die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And that's not the end. But wait, there's more. That after three days, he would rise again. And that's what we're talking about today. I'm actually going to start with a little video. And it's only a couple of minutes long, but it's, it's, um, it's not word for word from the Bible, actually. It's an imagined conversation or um, dialogue, but it's from a real person in the Bible. Her name is Shalom. Shalom? I call her Shalom. Uh, Shalom was a woman who was married to a man called Zebedee. They had a fishing business. Hands up if you're involved in a fishing business at this few fishermen. Yep. So was Zebedee and Shalom. Uh, They had two sons. James and John actually became uh, followers of Jesus, they became disciples of Jesus. Uh, Shalom and her husband Zebedee supported the ministry, supported Jesus, and she had a personal relationship with Jesus too. She talked to him, um, and we see that in the Gospels as well. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, she was there. Some of the women, they watched as Jesus died, and then it says early on the Sunday morning, early on that first morning, as soon as as it was dawn, they went to prepare his body at the tomb. So, I mean, nowadays we have like undertakers and embalmers and things, but back then they just had the women who were willing to go. Obviously, Jesus would have had a lot of blood and things. The women went to go and wash his body to prepare it with spices and perfumes and things, mainly so that people walking around outside weren't overwhelmed by the stench of death. That's what they were going on. And they find an empty tomb. So we're just going to hear this, uh, just a couple of minutes, watch this video. Jesus was crucified. It's all over. I mean, were we wrong about that? We had no choice. See, Jesus was dead. So we hid. Hid in fear. That morning of the small 
both women His name is Jesus the Christ.
he said himself, I am the resurrection and the life. In Acts 24, 2.24, sorry. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. That's Jesus freeing him because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Death can't keep its hold on him because he is life. Death doesn't win. Jesus wins. Jesus spoke, that the resurrection means that Jesus heals the broken and he breaks the grip of sin and death on us, over us. So sin and death don't have the last word over us anymore. Evil doesn't have the last word and the grave doesn't have the last word. Jesus' resurrection sums up our life. You know, I didn't used to... I really understand that. And I told my children, maybe you've said the same thing. I told my children, uh, when we die, uh, we believe that the body goes into the ground and our spirit goes to be with Jesus in heaven forever. Haven't you said that about a gold ticket too that you've got in down? Don't worry, sweetie, the spirit's going to be in heaven with Jesus. Uh, I remember the first time I told my children this because it was super awkward. My kids were like, Amy and Nikita, they were... Amy was about four, Nikita was about two. I don't know about your kids, but mine asked a lot of questions. I know people who would watch things like Home and Away, and they'd go, why don't you watch that? Not that I wanted to, but I was like, how can you watch that with your kids? Imagine the questions they'd be asking. My kids were asking a lot of questions. One day we're in WA, and we drove past the cemetery. I'm driving, four-year-old and a two-year-old in the back, and there's the police whistle. And we obviously hadn't been to a cemetery before. We normally went to a park. But one day we were driving past the cemetery and Amy says, what's that, mummy? What's that place? Oh, that's the cemetery. A pause occurs. You can hear her clock going around in her brain. And she says, what's a cemetery? Well, a cemetery is a graveyard, sweetie. Like Fraser Bear, the dodge. Didn't, didn't fall there. She said, what's a graveyard? <laughs> well, how much you say? I thought, well, I'll just, you know, death's a normal part of life. I'll just be honest. She said, well, I'll be a bit honest. <laughs> well, a graveyard, darling, is where we put people when they die. We bury people when they die. She's like, what's cemetery? So sweet, my little four-year-old. I didn't want to break her little brain. She says, what's buried? I'm like, what's buried? This is what I honest to God said. Well, see, when we die, we place people's body into a beautiful box with a pillow, people lined in satin. We cover it with flowers and the box is called a coffin and then we place it into the ground. She honestly went nuts. She was like, you're placing people into the ground. She got it. She was visual. Oh, no, no, don't worry, Amy, because the body isn't who we are, I said. The body goes into the ground, but our spirit goes to be with Jesus in heaven 
help you love and one day that will happen for all of us. That's what I told my kids. That's what I've told them many times. That's actually not the end of the story. I know that's what my parents told me and I know that's what my family has been telling their children because I remember another really awkward time when I was at my grandmother's funeral. In New Zealand, we have, New Zealanders have a lot of open casket funeral. It's not very popular in Australia, but we're all into the open casket. You know why? My, my mum took me to her funeral from a very young age. She had lots of older aunties and uncles died and things, and she thought it was really good for children to go and see uh, the body because you can see without just, like, that's just the that's just the body. The spirit can see. You can see the difference. You know that your loved one isn't really there anymore. So that's what my mum taught me. And I saw my sister teaching her sweet little daughter, Alyssa. She was about four or five at the time when my grandmother died. I'm going to call her Nana because that's what I called her when I wanted her to. So <coughs> this is the thing. Open casket. Me and my mum were doing the music. So it was quiet at that point. And my mum... And me and my sister, Tracy, were standing, saying our goodbyes to my beloved Nana. And Alyssa was there, the little four or five-year-old, and she said, can you kiss your mummy? And Tracy said, certainly you can, to give her a kiss. And she said, oh, Nanny, you're so cold. And she toddled off. And then we looked down at my beautiful Nana. And somehow, when Alyssa had kissed her, she squished her nose the side it's not funny she had squished her nose to the side and it stayed there and we're looking down and my mum never take my mum to a funeral you know when it's silent and it's so serious and we're looking at this and my mum starts to giggle I look over she's shaking her shoulders she's giggling and giggling she's going Tracy shut up you're shaking your nose thinking, how can I do that? Preaching, got your nose, Nana. How can I do that? I, I, can't, I, I can't, Mom, I can't. And I started giggling. It's not funny. It was so serious. It was so quiet. No music. My sister looks over. She starts laughing. We're all just praying, the people behind us. Our shoulders are shaking and shaking. We're praying. They think that we're crying. We were just hysterical laughing. We couldn't stop laughing. Eventually, my sister saved the day. She sort of leaned in to give her the, the opposite kiss than her kid did and sort of straightened her nose as she did. My nana was a very, very well, well put together lady. She would have been, you know, she despaired of me. She never thought I did my hair and makeup enough. She, she would not have liked to have had a crooked nose in her coffin. There, not there or not, she would have not been happy with that. Anyway, that's not my point. My point is... That my sister told her daughter the same thing and told all the kids and we all thought it was true. Our spirit leaves our body and goes to some spiritual, ethereal heaven. But did you know that's not the biblical afterlife for us? That's an in-between bit while we're all waiting in line for the resurrection. Uh, I've even seen, I'm sure you've all seen like those cartoons of... Um, you know, people say, I don't want to go to heaven. It's too boring. There's sort of people playing harps or something. There's fat baby cherubs around with no bodies, just faces and wings. Uh, what are we going to do all day? But that has never, ever been 
the Jewish or the Christian understanding of heaven. It's never been God's destiny for us. And the resurrection of Jesus is the promise of the truth that is the destiny available to every person. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What has Jesus' resurrection got to do with us? Here's a couple of scriptures in the New Testament where it talks about we actually, we will be doing the same thing that happened to Jesus. We will be rising from the dead. 2 Corinthians 4.13. Because we know that the one, that's God the Father, the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Thessalonians 5.10. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, because he said he's coming back, whether we're dead or alive then, we can live with him forever. Romans 6. If we get included, this is a message Bible, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, then we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. If we are included in Jesus' death, then we also are in on the resurrection. Never again, never again will death have the last word. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, The truth is that Christ has been raised up the first, in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemetery. But we have to wait our turn. Christ is first. See, he's what the Bible calls the first fruits. That means the first in a harvest. Many of you are familiar with harvesting, harvesting fish and harvesting wheat or whatever you harvest on your, on your farm. And the first fruits are just the first bit. You know there's more to come after that. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first in a long line of the resurrection, we are part of the long line. The resurrection wasn't just a historical event, although it is an actual evident historical event. It isn't just a tradition that we celebrate once a, around March or Easter or April. It isn't a myth. It isn't a legend. The resurrection is the revealing of God's plan for me and you. We are not destined to become spirits forever. God never wanted us to just be spirits like angels or cherubs and float around on clouds. That's never been God's plan. It's never in the Bible anything like that. God's plan is that we and all of creation will become resurrected, not wipe everything out and restart again. God's already made creation, but to restore it actually reset without all the bugs that we see as bugs. Have, you know, if you're coming on church, all the churches throughout all of Christian history have the same creed that every Christian church says, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Pentecostal, any, every church has the same creed and it says, we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That's our, that's a foundational hope for the Christian. And we're invited to live our every day like this. 
in the Old Testament, I mean, it's woven all the way through the Old Testament. And it's woven throughout all of creation as well. We can see it. We can see it through the Old Testament. We see it in Job. Job was, um, the book of Job was written about 2,000 years before Jesus. So that's like over 4,000 years ago to us. But the faith statement that he makes is exactly the same as we would make today. Our faith hasn't changed at all. Not one jot. Poor Job. He had it. He had it bad. His farmland had been destroyed. All of his children died. And then he has a terrible disease. Um, it affected all his skin. Nobody liked him anymore. They thought he was a terrible sinner as a punishment from God. This is what Job says. This amazing statement of faith. I know that my Redeemer lives. This is 2,000 years before Jesus, but he's looking ahead exactly the same that we are looking ahead to the same resurrection that he was. I know that my Redeemer lives. In the end, he will stand on the earth. And though my skin will be destroyed, in my body I will see God. I myself see him looking at me in eyes. I'll see him. He won't be a stranger to me. How my heart groans for that day. How many of us, you know, the Bible says all of creation just groans for that day. And God has woven this promise of the resurrection all the way in, into, uh, you know, even the universe. We have a sun that sleeps every night and every morning it rises. That's a promise every morning it rises that we get to all of creation. In the Bible, Paul, one of Jesus' followers, says, look, we can't really, I mean, people are going to ask, well, if we get resurrected, what's our bodies like? What's the world, what will we do? And we don't have a clear picture on that. But Paul says, we can see glimpses of it in nature. God's put trees all the way through nature. Think of the sea. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, think of the sea. So imagine like an apple tree that doesn't have If you put that, it's literal, it's brown, it's kind of oval shape. You put it into the ground, you bury it, and it dies, ceases being a tree. But something has risen, an apple tree, in all its fullness. It has a different kind of flesh to it, but it's the same thing just in its fullness. The seed is buried, but something else rises completely different thing, but the essence that went into the ground is now revealed in its fullness in the resurrection. Paul says, it's the same with our resurrected bodies. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, which are just sitting on a tiny tree. The Bible even says that. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live our bodies are buried in just so much and open. That's what happens as we, you know, go throughout this life. We, we age or, or maybe through disease or whatever. We, by the time we get to the end of our life, most of us are not that pleased with these old bodies anymore. They're, they're sown into the ground. We, we bury them. They're not glorious anymore. We, we bury them in dishonor, but they'll be raised in glory. 
places were buried in the ocean, but they'll be raised into the deep. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. See, the grave doesn't have the last word. It couldn't keep Jesus. It won't keep you. It won't keep me. And it doesn't keep your loved ones. The grave doesn't have the last word. The Bible is quite clear about uh, what happens, what what happens to our loved ones when they die. In one Thessalonians four, it says, "Regarding this question, friends, it's come up about what happens to those people who are already dead and buried. We don't want you to be in the dark any longer. First of all, we must not grieve over them like people who have no hope, who have nothing to look forward to, as if the grave." were the last word. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who have died in Jesus. That's the hope of the resurrection. Remember, Jesus' resurrection is actually the promise. It's our receipt. This is for me, for us and for all of our loved ones. And and this has always been the Christian faith. It didn't just start in Jesus, his resurrection. We see that in David. King David, uh, he had a son, and his son died. And when his son died, he, like before, when his son was sick, he was crying and weeping and fasting and trying to make everyone else do the same, praying for his son. But then when his son died, it says he got up and he washed his face and he put on new clothes and he went out of the room. And all of his, you know, people who worked for him were man, I mean, if the king were to lose it, if he's that bad before the child has passed away, what's he going to be like afterwards? See, the king ran the whole kingdom. If the king lost it and went into despair for a year or two, that would be like the worst stock market crash ever in our world. Every, the internet's down if the king's gone down. And he was an emotional man, David. Look at the Psalms. He's, he's got big, deep feelings. He yearns for things and he, he groans for things. And so I don't think when he gets up and he washes his face and he goes out, I don't think he feels no grief. He doesn't, not that he doesn't feel grief. It's just that the people around him thought he was just going to lose it and go off the deep end in despair. What we see in David as he gets up is we see him fearful. There's a peace with him. That's what we see. He hasn't gone into despair. There's a peace with him. And he says this. My son has died. He's a fifteen-year-old. My son has died, and he will not come to me anymore. That's sad. That's grieving. That's a sting to a fifteen-year-old. But always has a but in there. My son will not come to me anymore. But I will go to him. That is the hope. That is the hope of the resurrection. That's the hope of the gospel. I actually heard of a pastor in America. His name is Levi. And he lived this out every day, this amazing resurrection pastor. Uh, He's a pastor of a church in America. He had his four children. Uh, He wrote this book, Through the Eyes of a Lion, which uh, talks about his um, process of holding on to the faith of the resurrection, even in the face of terrible tragedy. What happened in his family was that his daughter was five years old. And she died suddenly uh, of an asthma attack in the week leading up to Christmas. Um, 
Yeah, so Riverside is obviously, and she's only like five years old. Uh, I heard him preaching and he said that, <coughs> that day that he was preaching, he said, today marks 1,018 days since I last saw my daughter. Today's the 1,018th anniversary of the last time I saw my daughter. And there's a temptation to feel like she's back there and I'm getting further and further away from her. But when we look through the telescope of faith, when we understand, it's like in faith I see the other direction. He says, in Jesus, I know I am 1,018 days closer to seeing her again. That is hope to me. I've never heard someone say that. I'm not going that way. He said, I'm moving in the right direction. I'm 1,018 days closer to seeing her again. And he, of course, reads. He's got a whole blog. It's all the way through his book. He, of course, reads. But every day is a step in the right direction because his daughter is in Jesus and he is in Jesus and in Jesus we have the resurrection. That's the hope. That's the message of the Bible. And, I mean, geez, death to it has been to it, hasn't it? Death to her sickness, evil, disease, it's still really, really hurt. But she's been victorious. That's not the way of the world. The resurrection shows us that one day, these are the enemies of God, and one day she'll do away with them. It says then, then, not right now, but then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that never die, then the scripture will be fulfilled. Death will swallow up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It still hurts us now, but our hope through evil and death and sin is that the victory is ours. Everything that has been taken, God that we have today as we are here today is that we will allow Jesus' resurrection to make an impact in our lives. I used to sit around at church. My mum always took us to church, and I used to sit around and think, these people don't look very passionate. I don't think they even believe it. And I was a teenager, very judgmental of other people's faith. But I thought they don't even, they're just kind of sitting there. There's no sort of fireworks or sparks. If they really believe in the God who made everything, the whole cosmos and everything, the whole universe, then surely it must make an impact in our lives. That was what I thought at the time, and that is what I believe now. And that is what the invitation of Easter Sunday is, is that you're invited to allow Jesus' resurrection not to stay as a historical event, but to transform your life today. I'm with Shalom. I'm with, the, with all the apostles and the disciples who said, I've seen Jesus. I know I haven't seen him like in physical flesh on the street by Woolies or anything, but I have 
met Jesus, I've had an encounter with the risen Jesus. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul is saying to a church, you know, Jesus appeared to his disciples, to Peter, Paul, to James, uh, to his family, and once even to 500 people at once. And he says, most of these people are still alive now. Some have died, but most of them are still alive now. So this isn't a mess. This is happening right then in their community. And Paul is challenging them. He's not saying, look, just take my word for it. Don't go to that place and ask them. He's saying they're all alive. You can take your pick. There might be one or two who you think, well, they'd stay in if they look crazy anyway. But they had hundreds of people to choose from. He's saying you can ask any of them. They all have the same story. You could ask any Christian, any believer in Jesus. You believe in Jesus and we all have the same story. But one day I had an encounter with Jesus and he's not just words in a book or in the past. He's alive now. I remember walking into this youth group and I I was talking to this girl, Natasha, and she, she was talking about Jesus and I was just like, you're talking about him like he's real now. You're talking about praying, and he's like answering you. And I'm thinking, perhaps he's ill. Nowadays, I mean, that was 1990-something. Surely he's not talking now like what he talked thousands of years ago. But I came to know for myself, and I don't reckon I'm walking or that everybody is, that you can have an encounter with the living Jesus. Just as real as Shalom did. Just as real as Paul did. Just as real as all those apostles did. Just as real. And I can't give that to you. What I've been praying and praying for you for weeks. Even every person listening on the podcast, every uh, person here today is that you would have an encounter with the living Jesus. story of how I met my husband, which is not love at first sight. I was running a camp, I was running a youth camp, I was 21, and I was in charge of the camp. And I'm pretty relaxed now, but back in those days I was a little bit hyperactive, and I had a lot to organise, and so I was a bit stressed. I knew all the leaders on the camp who were going to be there, except for this one guy, Mike, who to me, he was a ring-in, that's my husband, see uh, one of the guys that we had that was his friend, he brought him in. So I said, well, uh, he, that guy can go with me so I can keep my eye on him in the small groups. And um, the way that we first met was I was driving to this meeting and he was driving to this meeting. And it's in a really roundabout area in Auckland. And so we actually passed each other's car and then went into the same building. As Mike passed me in my car, music on really loud I was screaming away laughing away to myself and Mike saw this girl driving past and he thought what a crazy girl is that <laughs> laughing away to herself all by herself in the car what a crazy lady I didn't know that so when he arrived and I went oh good that's that boy Mike I went right up to his car opened the car door stuck my hand in and went hi I'm Kylie like that Mimi girl. Mimi. I'm Kylie, I said. And he 
don't know um, Kenton, the lady I saw. I said, you're Mike, right? And I went, she goes, yep, I'm Mike. I said, yeah, Mike. And she's like, yeah, yep, I'm Mike. I just hope my career is up and running because it can only change. And I said, you're with me. We're small group leaders together. And he goes, no, we're not. I said, yeah, we are. Like, I'm in charge of this camp group. No one's ever said no to me before. Yeah, we are. His friend had told him, you're coming to the camp really just as one of the helpers. You don't have to run a small group. He goes, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. I'm not shaking his hand anymore. Say, yes, you are. He's going, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're with me. We're small group. This is our first conversation. And I know that I won. Do you know how? I got the last word. I mean, that's how you know that you've won, isn't it? Whoever gets the last word wins. That's the rules. Come on, wives. I know you know this. Whoever talks the loudest, whoever's still talking at the end, once the other person has given up, is the winner. I kept talking. He gave up. And I, we were small group leaders together. 18 years later, we're married. I win. won that round. At Easter, we remember that death and sin and evil nailed Jesus to the cross and went, I got last. I won. He said he's the truth, the life, hope, whatever. He's dead. The last word is dead. Jesus is dead. Death thought it won. Death thought the grave was the last word. that Jesus is called the word, but he's also called the first and the last. He has the first word. In the beginning was the word, and he has the last word. Church, I want to tell you, whatever you're going through now, if you're going through hard times, if you've gone through hard times in the past, that is not the last word in your life. If you go through hard times in the future, that is not the last word. The word of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is the last word over our lives, and that is a word of hope. Hold on to that hope. Church, hold on to that hope and not live lives like we're still stuck in Saturday, not sure what's going on with Jesus, but live lives like we're on Easter Sunday. Resurrection. Whatever goes on, our hope is coming. It begins now. We don't have to wait. Our hope is here and it's coming. We're just going to close our service now by praying. So if you would join me, Close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to just do this. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death. But today we thank you for your resurrection. It wasn't just an aside. It is a promise. A promise that you will rise us as well. That death is not the end. The grave is not the end. But hope has the last word. Jesus, I pray for every single person, every single family here that are going through a time where they feel like the tomb is looming, and I just declare your resurrection over that situation and hope 
What a great morning. I'm so glad you've come this morning. We've got chocolate galore. If you're allergic to dairy or nuts or gluten, we've got special ones for you. And please stay and join us for a cup of tea or coffee over to the side. We'd love to talk with you. Our normal services continue Sundays at 10 a.m. Just one more note. If you need to speak to someone, you're welcome to call Pastor Michael or myself uh, while Pastor Robin's bringing the wine. Um, So why don't you high-five the person beside you and say Happy Easter.